Cultivating Roots, a sports turf podcast featuring Robbie Miller, Matt Parrott, and Clark Cox. Welcome to episode five of Cultivating Roots. So far, uh, we've been able to get four episodes recorded and published. We're excited to continue to learn uh, this new podcasting venture that we've started. And uh, today we've got a pretty big show. We've got two guests today. Uh, Jeremy Bahanko from Ewing and Irrigation Supply, and Casey Carrick from the University of North Carolina. So we're excited to be able to introduce some of our 2020 partners to the program and to continue to introduce sports turf managers from around the country. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, get started with Jeremy Bahanko. We'd like to welcome Jeremy Bahanko with Ewing Irrigation and Landscape Supply. So how you doing today, Jeremy? Hey guys, how you doing today? Good. All right. Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we, we, you, you are the inaugural partner in the spotlight. The first uh, sucker. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeremy. Uh, about me, I am. I just turned forty this past year, so I joined the club, boys. Those of you that that are over forty, uh, Clark and Matt, specifically. That would be me. That that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm. I'll be forty-two this year. Yeah, boy, I didn't know that, Robbie. So very cool. So my wife joins the 40, 40 club here in a, uh, this month, so she'll hate me saying that, but she's still twenty nine. Remember that. Um, but uh, I got two boys at home. We'll be twelve and ten this year. Chase and Cooper. Uh, my wife's name is Tony, and uh, I've been at this thing for about fifteen years with Ewing. Uh, come this August, so uh, love the, the the sports turf industry uh, more specifically than the landscape industry, just because. It's kind of where I cut my teeth, uh, being an ex, ex, ex athlete. Like most of us, we, we kind of fall onto something we we're passionate about and like, and, uh, that's what got me in the sports for sports field world. Started my career after I was done playing ball a little bit in uh, minor league baseball for the Hagerstown Suns. Uh, spent a season there as a, as an assistant groundskeeper, uh, led me to a job with the Oakland A's in the spring training in, uh, uh, Oak, or I'm sorry, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I worked there for. Not quite a year, about a year almost, uh, and and got introduced to Ewing out in Phoenix, where our corporate office is. Uh, a cool story about it: I, I actually built a mound for our uh, owner's son in his yard. That's kind of how I got my job at Ewing, kind of accidentally. So, uh, 15 years later, here you go. I moved to North Carolina about 10 years ago, uh, in and uh, Ewing's been up and running uh, for 10 years now in the Carolinas. So we've been able to grow a little bit. Um, I know Clark, you asked personally, but that that segues into the, the Ewing thing and kind of we all uh, talk about ourselves and work always seems to have something to do with that right right well tell tell us about Ewing then what what does Ewing do what do you guys provide we are we are the largest family-owned landscape supply company in the country coming up on in uh let's see 98 years so in, in 2022 we'll be 100 years old uh we started as a small little company in 1922 called Atlas Irrigation in California. And uh, the York family has has run it under the York name, uh, keeping the Ewing name since the, man, I hope I'm right. I think the 60s. Brains who York are our uh, founding uh, folks. Sue York is, her last name is Ewing. So Sue Ewing is her main name. 
and her dad started the company. That's pretty impressive to work for a company that's almost 100 years old. I mean, we might as well go ahead and just say it's 100 years old. What's well, you know, two more years. But, you know, in the time that they've been around, have they managed to open offices in all 50 states or you still working on a couple states? You know, what is the the range that Ewing has over the entire country? Uh, we don't. We've got over 200 locations now in, I believe, 28 states. I might be off a state or two because we had some some growth here in the past year and a half. We just got to the Northeast, so uh, we're able to cover New York, New Jersey, uh, Delaware, um, and the D.C., Virginia area around the Beltway. Still working on Virginia a little bit uh, for future growth, but in, up in Michigan, Indiana, that, that part of the woods, we, we acquired a company. So um, that makes us, I think, 218 if I'm if I'm close to that uh, active uh, selling stores, we're uh, we're growing and and that's a good good position to be in as a, as a company is is uh, when you have opportunities to to gain whether it's internally or, or organically I should say or uh, acquisition um, it gives us a lot of opportunity to meet a lot of folks in different realms. Two hundred stores nationwide is a pretty good portfolio. Uh, that's really exciting to hear that a family-owned company, hundred-year-old company, has such a large outreach. Uh, what can you tell us about the products and services that Ewing offers for someone who maybe has never heard of Ewing? What do we sell? What do we do? So we're, we're a wholesale distributor. So we're, we're that go-between from manufacturers to the end user, which would be you all or, or our main focus is on uh, landscape irrigation contractors. That's, that's a bulk of our business. We uh, carry you know, just about anything you need on the whole good side with plastic, meaning you know, all the plastic that goes in the ground, whether it's a valve, valve box, PVC pipe, um, irrigation controllers, all the plastic that you know goes in the ground to, to uh, grow grass or kill grass is, is the fun way I like to say it. So all the, the irrigation, drainage, um, stuff that goes in the ground to, to help not only our lawns at home, but lawns uh, on commercial properties and, and lawns uh, on athletic fields that we, you know, we all work on. We have all that stuff under the ground and then on top of the ground, you know, the, the, the hardscape side of that world, lighting, you know, low voltage lighting side, um, a whole bunch of different things in that world that, that we have access to as well. So I like to kind of tell it as a, a well-rounded distributor. Uh, we, we don't sell any plants and we don't sell any equipment because we kind of, you know, we leave that for the smart people, man. We're not that smart. We just want to sell plastic. Um, the, uh, the, the fertilization chemical side of things, you know, could help has been a, a huge opportunity for our business. We, we hadn't sold a whole lot or gotten to that world until maybe 15 years ago, maybe 20 now. Um, so that realm on, on the agronomic world, uh, having partners uh, in that ra- uh, realm has helped us grow our business. And, and that's one steady thing we've seen in the last year or two is, is continuing to grow that market for us, having opportunities to uh, tell folks our story and, and having uh, having that that opportunity to say yes for a lot of stuff. So that really helps us out. So we've heard about you know how you came up in this industry, and we've heard about how Ewing was founded, and you've told us about the products that Ewing offers, the services that Ewing offers. Tell us a little bit about your role with Ewing, and you know if I'm a first time customer of Ewing. You know, what does Jeremy Bahanko do for Ewing? And, you know, how has that role changed over the years? My role, uh, it's a good question. So I've been fortunate, man. I, I've had a lot of uh, a lot of roles at Ewing, and, and I, I kind of joke that, that our owner's running out for stuff for me to do. I, I started off at the counter uh, just pulling orders and, and learning the business. I've 
since uh, been through kind of a little bit of everything as an assistant manager driver uh, to managing a store and got into sales for a little while, uh, specifically sales in the sports field world. That's, that's how I, I got to uh, be part of and, and support the, the STMA uh, local and, and national. And uh, currently I'm a regional manager in the Carolinas. So uh, my new role is to cover, be responsible for employee sales, et cetera, in the Carolinas. We currently have nine stores uh, throughout the Carolinas, uh, three locations in the Charlotte area, one in, or two locations in the Raleigh area, and one in Wilmington. And then uh, in South Carolina, we have one in uh, the upstate in Greenville, one in Columbia, and one in uh, Charleston. So you uh, travel between all those different stores? Before March, yes. Um, I haven't traveled a whole lot. We, we've been kind of on restrictions, but yeah, so I don't see those guys as much as I want to. Uh, but the, I do get out, you know, it's similar to my sales role. I was covering the, the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, kind of a whole bunch in a sales role. So I actually travel less now than I used to, but it's still a lot of travel to make sure our guys are taken care of and, and uh, they got what they need from not only Ewing, but from vendors, from manufacturers, you know, being a, the HR role guy and just about every other hat you need to, to, to help run a successful business. If you can, I mean, talk a little bit about, I mean, you touched on kind of the broad uh, spectrum of, of Ewing, but mm-hmm. talk a little bit about their role in, in the sports turf market specifically. And, and, you know, there's, I am a customer of Ewing and, and of Jeremy, but, um, you know, talk about your role outside of the, maybe the irrigation piece that people are super familiar with from a sports turf side, but just kind of the scope of the services that you guys offer to us as sports turf managers. Yeah. So uh, probably, Oh, about 10 years ago, we, we started dabbling a little bit in the sports field world out West um, in Phoenix in the, the spring training world. Uh, we hired a guy to kind of go, go just start talking to folks and, and starting to grow business. And it, it turned into as of uh, well, probably three years ago, uh, we, we built it up to having a, a team of guys um, in different spots in the country. Uh, some of those guys have moved on to other roles in the industry, but we, uh, we have built up the ability with vendors, vendor partners, to kind of provide you all with, with what, you, what you need. Kind of, I don't want to say one-stop shop that makes it sound kind of like a Walmart, but um, kind of a, a one place where um, you all can uh, go through us, uh, you'd be buying stuff anyway from somewhere rather than trying to buy it from four, five, six, even eight, sometimes different vendors. Uh, have an opportunity to move some of those products through us at, at a fair, similar price that kind of gets it all in, in one area to make it easier for y'all to purchase. It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge to to figure it out because, and why I say it's a challenge is, is what you use, Matt, compared to what Clark maybe uses or Robbie, flip it and go to California and, and see what those guys use, right? So each market's a little different. There's a ton of products out there and, and there's preferences, right? Some some markets prefer one calcine clay, some prefer a different regular, uh, regular clay, packing clay. Uh, others prefer X base, you know? So, so there's a lot of dynamics throughout the country. So getting it dialed into to try to be successful has been a was a challenge, but I think we did a pretty good job five years ago or so, maybe six, uh, coming up with a catalog that really showed who we partner with and, and what products we have available. That are those hot products that you guys use on a daily basis. So um, I, I'm jumping around a lot, but but we were able to you know get enough information, enough guys who knew what they were doing, talking to customers like you guys and, and really build up our, our catalog per se 
to what what's available or what we have available that y'all are buying somewhere, right? Um, at that point, once we got the right product mix, that next step is, okay, so how do we get business? Let's just go start talking to people. And, and I've been very fortunate to be in the Carolinas uh, where, you know, you, you guys have uh, you know, opened your doors to me, um, not knowing Ewing, not knowing me, just saying, hey, showing up, hey, we got stuff. I mean, I, you guys have heard my spiel. It's, it's, hey, we got stuff, right? It's, it's not anything particular. What do you guys buy? Let's, let's see if we can, you know, partner up and do some things. And, and that's kind of how we approach things. The, the low pressure sale, really, just letting you all know what we have available. And, and that, at that point, getting a fair price that works for you all. And more importantly, we have it in stock so that if you are in a pinch, uh, if, if you, you know, don't plan accordingly, right? We have it and we can get it to you pretty quickly. So that, that would be me. Um, <laughs> it, I'm that guy in Charlotte. I'm fortunate to have two of your locations, but there, there are a few times that I call. And the thing that I've found about your, your storefronts in Charlotte anyways, for us, and I don't know if it's tailored to me because you know that I wait till the last minute on stuff, but I do the same uh, thing. I'm if, always calling him at the last minute too. So. Yeah. If if, if, if you run out of something real quick or if, if uh, you know, if you need to replace a rubber on a mound or a home plate delaminates or something like that for it, inevitably I, I call you and, and you guys have that. Is, is that, is that kind of part of the model that in your locations that, that do service the sports turf market, you kind of keep the basics and you can get the other stuff pretty quick, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Once we learn what that is, right. You know, I, I learned what you prefer, right. Robbie, same thing with you. I learned which clay you prefer, right. So we make sure we have that stuff. Clark, same thing. Uh, once you guys have an idea of what you want, what you need. Okay. I'll have that there for you. So if, and when you do need something, we'll you know be able to get it to you pretty quickly. Now there are times we run out of things because not so much we didn't plan for it, but someone else got there first and bought it all. Right. So uh, on our end, we tried to, you know, mix and match and do things what we have to, each location's different because of the need in those locations. You know, our, our Raleigh market is a couple years behind our Charlotte market as far as just uh, locations. So it took a little longer to get those locations set up to sell some stuff rather than, you know, what I already had created in the Charlotte market. And even though they're closer in North Carolina, it's a little different, right? There, there's some different items guys prefer up in that world. Again, go out West, same thing. So it's it's been easy for us to get those easy, quote unquote, easy things that are that are wear out, right? Your, your plates, your mounds, your bases. Um, you know, then you get to your calcine clays, your, your, your packing clays, that type of stuff. Once we find out what y'all prefer, uh, okay, let's build orders to get there. Because the way we have to buy, typically we have to buy in bulk to, to make it work freight-wise so that it saves you all some money as well. Um, so there, there's a, a good dynamic there on product mix that we're fortunate to have the locations we have and, and the size of buildings we have to be able to store stuff. Um, you know, some locations don't have a storefront that we have in, in the way we, you guys have all been in our stores. It's a little different than some others where uh, you can come to the counter, sit down and, and order stuff and we can go pull it. Or you can, you know, hey, I, I need this. Where do I go find it? So uh, we end up um, helping out in that aspect and have it on the shelf ready to go. How many, how many locations in North and South Carolina, Jeremy? Nine. Nine? Okay. Yep. yep. So, and, and as you guys know, in the marketplace in the Carolinas, being, being around home, you know, there's, there's tons of opportunity in the sports field world. And, and we've captured some of that. Um, there, there's still plenty of opportunity to go get more. Um, just a matter of getting, you know, that's why the STMA has been so valuable to me and Ewing. It's been that that one easy to support something that you're passionate about, right? I'm passionate just like you guys are about the sports field world. 
but it's been very easy to convincing folks to be a part of it and, and spend the, the money to as a sponsor to um, you know support what y'all are doing but more importantly get in front of uh, the people that are making those decisions right I mean gosh I think my first meeting I went to probably six eight years ago man I stayed in the corner I was quiet I kept my mouth shut and just watched right then I went to the next one and said hi to three people I, I don't know but it, it was just one of those dynamics from day one uh, well, you start talking to folks and they introduce you to someone else. And, and before you know it, you get to meet a, a good core of folks that, you know, uh, kind of bring you in and welcome you in as an outsider. And it's, that's been huge for us uh, from, from a sports field perspective in, um, in the Carolinas, at least for me. And, and we were able to grow some things and do some things that um, by listening, right, and, and listening and listening and listening to, to what y'all are needing and want, we're able to build our, our inventory and our relationships through that to you know the the the, the ewing model it's been from day one the, the um, best marketing you can have is a happy customer you know a satisfied customer so we really try to live that every day and and there's days we don't right there's days we fail but you know we try to make we try to do less of those than we do um uh, the rest where it's you know you guys are in a pinch we need something we, we do that and that's from the level for the sports field manager all the way to our, our everyday contractors right there's there's times we run out of stuff and it's not that we're out because we, we knew you're coming in and we didn't want to sell to you, right? It's, you know, we sold out of it. You know, we had three other guys come in about the same thing. So uh, we're really able to to work our inventory to, to be a value to what you guys need. And that's what's helped us be successful in the Carolinas. Well, if you run out of uh, soil conditioner, I have uh, four pallets untouched that uh, <laughs> you can sell to somebody if they need it. I've got a Bobby, couple. Robbie, he, he's got mine first. I've got 10. <laughs> ten, 10 conditioner three pallets of clay you know we're pretty much set so anybody in the carolinas that needs any material yeah you, uh, i've got a i've got truck loads in each uh location of, of different things that be glad to uh to drop off and to deliver any location y'all want to <laughs> for a fair price as well <laughs> Jeremy, before we let you run, what, where where do you see where do you see the the market for Ewing going uh, in in the Carolinas and and specifically, I guess, on the sports turf side? I mean, it, I know it's a hard question to answer right now with everything go, that's going on, but you guys have experienced a large amount of growth here in in a pretty short period of time. Um, yeah. is that is that something that you guys see continuing to happen? Or I do. Excuse me, I do, and, and the reason I do is because we keep. You know, we, we keep hold, holding on to the, the relationships. That's what it's about, man. Our whole world's based on relationships, whether it's uh, in our everyday personal life or, or our work life. And um, we've, we've done a good job, I think, of building some pretty good relationships with you all. And um, there, there's plenty of new faces that show up and get opportunity, right? So, so there's plenty of new opportunities for us above and beyond the current ones we already have. So um, and there's plenty out there that, you know, we you guys might not know we do sell, right? There, there's stuff that, that that you're buying somewhere else and don't know we even sell it, right? That's that's our job to get in front of y'all and, and be part of uh, letting you know, hey, we we uh, we have this. And uh, my, my favorite question when I, I get a chance to see guys and, and there's one particular person, I'll, I'll leave them nameless. He's like, all right, man, so what do you got new? Uh, what do you got new at Ewing? And, and it's my favorite question because it makes me think, you know, all right, what do we have new? And, and and that's a loaded question because is it new to him? Is it new to me? So so it makes me think, and it's great because no one wants to hear about the same stuff, right? And I got the same 
X, I got the same here, but I just want to stop by and say, Hey, you know, like, yeah, we're growing. We have new stuff. Did you hear about this coming out? We, we partnered with this new vendor. Um, so we're going to continue to grow and, and grab the vendor. Our vendor partners are great to us as, as good as we try to be uh, with, with the SMA chapters, whether it's local or national, our vendor partners are, are great partners of ours. And we really, we really see a partnership. Um, so we're, we're going to continue to support them as they support us and, you know, grab new vendors as, as we, as we grow. And, and as you guys in, in the field have needs, we're going to try to fill those needs with, with whether it's a new vendor or a different product from the existing vendors. So um, I, I'm excited for our future. I, I really believe that not only are we going to be able to grow the business, but um, I, I'm really hopeful that we can, you know, add locations in different spots to, to uh, make things easier, whether it's in uh, another store in the tri Triangle up north, if it's another one at, at the coast in Myrtle Beach, or I don't know where, I don't know where the next stop is going to be, but there's plenty of opportunities out there for us to, to kind of connect the dots with the buildings we have and uh, kind of take over the Carolinas, if you will, with, with opportunities to supply everybody from coast to the mountains uh, on what y'all need. We'd like to, to thank you, Jeremy, and thank Ewing for all the support of the North Carolina and South Carolina chapters, and especially the Southeast Regional Sports Turf Conference. Yeah, no, we love it. I love being part of it, and, and my guys are slowly uh, the, the folks that I bring along. Every year I try to bring someone different to the conference, and every year I get a wow uh, from, from that new person. Um, they're impressed with the, the conference itself, but the, the trade show and just the, the energy that, that comes from that room. And I think you guys know what I mean by that. Just the, the, between the vendors and the, the guys asking questions and um, the, the new guys, right? That's the, the best one. Who's Ewing? What's Ewing, man? That's that's awesome. That's nails for a, a trade show, right? Tell me about Ewing. Great. Um, we get opportunity to not only do that, but then see a lot of old friends that have been good, good partners for us. So uh, we look to continue to support it. We look for more opportunities to see what more we can do, not only to support the the uh, local chapter, but on a national level as well, to continue, you know, uh, letting folks know that, that we're in uh, we're in this thing for the long haul, and we're going to continue to uh, to try to grow. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate we appreciate companies like Ewing and our other our other partners because we, at the end of the day, the three of us, we wouldn't be able to do our uh, do our bread and butter, make hay, so to speak, with without without companies like y'all. So, absolutely. Uh, we appreciate you, you taking some time and being here with us today. So glad to, man. Appreciate you guys thinking of me. Y'all be good. And, and hopefully I'll get uh, able to come down and say hello to all y'all soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank all you, right, Jeremy. guys. We'll see you. Once again, we'd like to thank Jeremy Bahanko and Ewing for being 2020 partners of the North Carolina, South Carolina Partners Program. And now we'd like to welcome Casey Carrick to the program. He is the Director of Athletic Grounds and Turf Management at UNC Chapel Hill. Good afternoon, Casey. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Casey. We're excited to have you on today. So let's uh, get started. Won't uh, you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at UNC Chapel Hill? I oversee 10 to 11 guys here on campus at UNC. We are mainly in charge of our athletic fields. We do do a little landscape around the facilities, but you know our overall maintenance program gets to focus on our athletic fields. I've been here for 10 years. Um, I've been fortunate. We got to see a lot of changes here. Got to be a part of a lot of new construction, new facilities, and then you know shaping the the crew that we have, you know, very, very proud to, to be here and, and what we're, what we're doing here. You're an NC State graduate too also, aren't you? I am. Yes, sir. 
so far we've restricted all of our guests to NC State. <laughs> uh, we might have to expand upon that in the future. Hey, hey, let's get this question out of the way first. What's it like working in Chapel Hill as a state grad, Casey? Uh, it's interesting. I think that's the best way to put it. You know, like I said, I've been here for 10 years, so it's it's kind of – I'm kind of used to it now. I think I've heard all the jokes. You know, I've got picked on a lot. I'll do my fair share of picking on people here. But, you know, I do enjoy it here. I love being here. I still love NC State. We go to we go to games. Uh, my wife, my family, you know, we, we live in Raleigh. But when we're growing grass and we're supporting our teams and we're doing things here at work, I'm completely focused on that. I figured out how to take the, the rivalry out of it. Um, I want to give our student athletes here at North Carolina the best possible surfaces they can play on. And, you know, I've got a staff with a couple NC State guys, a Clemson guy. So, you know, not everybody, uh, not everybody is a Carolina guy. So it's, uh, but they do, they take pride in it just like I do. Are you allowed to wear rival colors during the games? No, no, we're, uh, you know, I tried that my, my first year, 2011, we were playing at NC State. Um, we got practice ready, I think on a Thursday. I spray painted the rubber red and then I covered the mound back up and went home, knowing that during practice they would take it off. And uh, they got a pretty good kick out of that. We came in the next morning and all of the screens and the BP cage were in our maintenance area, just completely blocking up everything. So, you know, we, uh, it was a good little start. Uh, <laughs> rivalry. Yeah, it's uh, you figure out real quick though, Casey, and you say that was your first year. After a while, you you realize it's more about the relationships you develop with the coaches and players than it is. You know, you, you, those are your guys now. You know, your coaches and players. I mean, those are your guys, and so you yeah. you don't even consider. At least I, I never have. You know, when we played state, you know, I grew up state all my life, but when I got here and. You develop those relationships. You, you realize when you, you're playing that state, you you think maybe people say, "Well, who are you gonna pull for?" I say, "Well, these are my guys. You know, this is this is not only that that's who pays me and that's who I work for, but these are my guys. These are the guys that and, and girls that I see every day. I'm around. I have a relationship with them. I don't know those other kids over there. You know, so it's pretty easy." Yeah, it was a little different. When I came over here in 2010, you know, I had just graduated. Well, I had graduated from state in 2006, and I'd worked on the ground screw there for four years until 2010. So I knew a lot of the athletes, coaches, for those first three or four years when they would come over here and play. And, you know, that was that was a little different. You knew, you knew people on both teams. But the longer that I've been here, and like you said, you develop the relationship with the coaches and the players, and you you know, you start to you start to know their kids and their families, and you you really it really gets deeper than hey where where you went to school or where you work. It's it's a, a personal relationship. So you know, it's not hard to root for our teams here. It's not hard to they they do a really good job of making us feel like we're part of them. So it makes it pretty easy. So Casey, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the types of athletic turf you have and the the types of sports that y'all y'all have it Carol. I know it varies a little bit doesn't it Clark you, you might not have the exact same roster of sports oh man I bet Casey Casey those guys got a lot over there in Chapel Hill yeah so over I mean the for the whole athletic department we have 28 sports which is or you guys are probably what are you closer to 20 I mean or oh we're we're less than that I think we're 18 yeah so you know we've got pretty much every sport that you can have almost except for we don't have beach volleyball and Maybe one day we will, but right now that's kind of the one we don't. Is that a competitive NCAA yes, sport? Yes, we have that. I did not know that. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, there are a couple. I know Florida State has it. There, so there are some ACC schools with it. But, um, but no, we 
we provide support to around nine or 10 teams. You know, obviously they're the, they're our outdoor sports for the most part that play on the athletic fields. We maintain about 30 acres of athletic surfaces. 15 are synthetic turf uh, and another 15 are, are natural grass. You know, like I said, we, we do dabble in a little bit of landscaping here or there, but for the most part, our campus, campus grounds takes care of that. So we get to focus most of our time on our athletic fields, um, which is really, really cool. You know, that's, that's what we like to be doing. I think the, the more time we can spend on them, the better they are. Casey, how has that, that acreage changed since you since you got to Carolina in terms of the split between synthetic and natural grass? Um, it's probably going a little more towards the synthetic when we we, we obviously we changed Keenan out. Um, we added a our indoor facility, you know, so there was four acres of synthetic that we added. And then we did build a new soccer lacrosse um, or basically Olympic sport practice facility, just a tiny bit off campus. We added five acres of synthetic there um, and we renovated another five acres of natural grass. So we took an old push-up field with native soil, no drainage, and we did an engineered soil. So we probably are trending just a little bit more on the synthetic side, but I will say the what we're doing with the grass side, we, we have improved those fields a lot during that same time period. So... Can you elaborate a little bit, Casey, on what you mean by engineered soil? Yeah, so the, the fields that we have put in on campus recently, our, our soccer lacrosse stadium, our practice football stadium, and even our baseball stadium, which is now 10 years old, are all sand-based fields. You know, we, we work with, with a couple of different companies to design and build them. It's basically a big USGA golf green, as everybody knows. We're 10 inches of sand over four inches of gravel. You know, we picked everything that went into this field, you know, from the gravel all the way up to the, the sod we laid on top of it. These are, these are not just, hey, we've got some dirt here, let's push it up and use it. These are, this is all imported material that we picked. Do you uh, split your crew up between your natural grass and your synthetic turf? Or do you all kind of do a little bit of everything? So we try to have a quote unquote supervisor um, at each facility that kind of runs the day-to-day -day maintenance of that. Um, my, my job on a, on a normal day is to to go around and check in with each guy and, and, and help see where they what they need or develop a plan. But we, we have a, a guy that stays at baseball for the most part. We've got somebody that does our soccer lacrosse stadium, somebody that, you know, bounces back and forth between practice football and field hockey and then our softball complex and our practice complex for Olympic sports kind of have their own guys. I say that, you know, they get to focus on that, but we're a we are one big crew. Um, right now I'm overlooking our baseball field and there's nobody on it because they're all over at practice football, airifying and cleaning it up. So we uh, kind of pull guys to wherever we need them on any given day. How many airifications have you been through this year? Yeah, so this year, um, as everybody knows, and as we've talked about as a group, have, have changed a little bit with, with the limited amount of activity we've had on the fields. Um, for our practice football field, this is the fourth airification we've done since – early March the second I think we pulled course twice now and did a solid time twice so playing around with some different things we've done more airification even though we're not getting the play we're just we're trying to trying to open it up more and take advantage of the, the opportunity normally this time of year we would have camps on the field we wouldn't get to do that are you putting sand back down every time you you are not on the on the new sand base the the brand new fields that are only a year or two old we're not we're pulling the core we're pulling is bringing up a good amount of sand so we're really just re recycling reusing that sand we're dragging it around with a mat busting up the cores and it's really giving us a nice free top dressing 
we're also in a situation, you know, kind of like a lot of people where our budgets, budgets on hold here for another couple of weeks. So we don't have the ability to buy sand. I think if we were able to buy sand, we would probably put a little bit out on some other fields, but you know, we're making do with, with I'd say a limited budget at the moment. Yeah. We started air fine today on one of our native soil fields and I'm, we're lucky that we're getting to put some sand back on top of it, but it's kind of a multi-purpose field. Uh, we start in the morning with with as a rec field for the kids in the lower school, and then we move into middle school practices and games. And I mean, I don't think that field really gets a break. So if we couldn't put sand on it, you know, it, I think it would just get so compacted and so hard we we might not be able to get on it. Yeah, we we went into the uh, the the break the the COVID break with a good amount of sand stockpiled, and uh, we used most of it on a first on the first couple of verifications but after that we've decided hey we can hold off we're not casey how is not having camps on your fields this summer going to affect you know the the maintenance practices moving into if and when students come back and you're you know you're using those fields because i assume that you got juggling the camp schedule in the summertime no matter how you juggle it you still are kind of impacted by some adverse wear so to speak and having to hustle to get that put back together and how that affects your your teams when they get back to school and are using it through the fall I mean just talk about that a little bit is, is that my initial thought would be that it's going to make your life easier but at the same time it's going to be different yeah it is it's definitely not having camps has definitely changed um, our maintenance approach for the summer normally and I'll use baseball for example whenever that last game is over whether that last game's in May or early May or mid-June the next weekend we've got camps on the field um, and we usually got camps something scheduled throughout the whole summer, all the way until August 1st. And the camps don't necessarily hurt the field anymore, but they don't allow us to do the maintenance practices we need to do. You know, yeah, a bunch of seven, eight, nine-year-olds running around. They're not really hurting Bermuda growing in June, but they also don't let us airify. You know, we're not able to airify a field because there's kids all over it that day. And in turn, what that forces us to do is when the summer's over, come in and reside areas, you know, any mound and plate area or short and second foul lines where pitchers have thrown on them all year. Not having camps this year has allowed us to start growing those areas in, push them more, verticut them more, airify more, and we're not going to have to side as much, if, if anything, on baseball going into this fall, which I think is will turn into a full cycle of we'll have healthier Bermuda going into the fall, so hopefully it'll hold up better through the fall ball, and you know we'll be benefiting from this a year from now, not just in the short term. Um, and it's kind of like that on every field. We're usually limited on what we can do because of camps, and it runs our side, what we spend on side, up pretty high. And this year, we're we're not doing as much of that. But I mean, look, as a, a groundskeeper, we understand this is a this is not a great time for everybody. But we do know we have an opportunity here to take advantage of a situation that we probably won't have. Or hopefully, we don't have again for a while. So yeah, I think I think that'll be the thing that's most that I'm most interested to see about is you know during the course of a baseball season specifically. You know you're going to have those areas that that you're going to have to resod, and not not having to do it this year up to this point. And time will tell from from our standpoint in Charlotte what the future holds. But you know the impact of of allowing those areas in front of the mound, shortstop, second base, your umpire wear areas. You know having a year for that grass to truly just to establish and the impact that that'll have moving forward into next season potentially and see if it does reduce those in-season inputs next year so be interesting to see how that how that how that plays out over time so yeah I mean we're we're all looking at almost a four-month period where we'll have nobody on our fields and that's or three or four months depending on you know what sport it is or what situation you're in and I don't know I 
that we've never had that and we'll probably never have this again. So it's let's hope. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's definitely hope that this is a, a once in a lifetime scenario. Um, Casey, you did touch on siding a little bit and I want to go back to that and talk about your process. And, you know, for us, like many people, it can be very labor intensive. And, you know, this is a year that due to the current situation, I, I doubt that we'll be having to do any side work. Um, but let's go back to your process and how you handle sodding around the camps that, that you normally do have and that you're not going to have this year. Um, so normally it, it depends on which field it is, but it, it really, it, it's all dependent on the schedule, the camp schedule. You know, we sat down early in the year and we, we try to block off with our, our camp director, like, look, this, these are the drop dead dates where there cannot be anything on the field. We've got to get ready for our seasons. And they, we, we've started doing a pretty good job with, with the new construction, with, with some of the, the other fields we've built, our practice fields and some of the synthetic fields. We're able to shift some camps around and, and, and give our, our game fields a break sometimes or allow for maintenance. I think we've done a really good job of that. But we come in and we try to side whenever we can, um, and a lot of times it's a lot later than we than we would like to. We've we've flirted with the idea of as soon as the last baseball game's over, we know where the wearers are going to be. Let's go ahead and side them right away. But you know, we, I think we're always hopeful. Hey, it's Bermuda's going to come out a little better this year. We're going to transition a little better, and then you know, July rolls around, you're like, ah, we're we're, we're kind of in the same boat we were you know, a year ago. So we try to side as little as possible, but you know, just depending on the wear and what we're dealing with that kind of dictates it i think i think casey you you're you're probably like me you, you know years ago when you first got into this business sod was kind of a, a taboo you, if you had to sod spots and, and it goes for all of us if you had to sod spots you felt bad about it and you felt like you, you had failed but yep. you, you realize that it's just it's inevitable at times but especially in college athletics especially on a baseball college baseball field you know we're we're not necessarily doing things or able to do the things that are by the book. You know, we have to manage for games, uh, specific times. And so we're not always able to do the right thing agronomically that would allow us to maybe maintain a field like, like we're being able to maintain them this year, you know? So it's, it's kind of become like a, Hey, it is what it is. We have all these camps. We have all these summer league games, you know, we, you really don't have a choice. Uh, you, you have a very small window to try to recover a field. And so it's it, it's over the years, and I've, I've, I'm older than you boys, but you, you kind of start to realize that it's it's just what you do. I mean, you have to do it. Yeah, I absolutely took it. I'm going to say I almost took it personal when I was younger. Hey, man, we, we have to sod this. Like, we, we're not doing something right, you know. And the older, the longer I've been in it and the – the more I've seen it, I, you know, you realize there's some er some areas of the field and some situations you just try a bunch of different things and you're not going to be able to get around it. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's part of the job and that's what we're dealing with. I think part of it, too, is, I mean, just from a baseball standpoint, the college game is so incredibly different than the professional game is. And the way that you guys utilize the field from a college practice is a practice. I mean, it is a – and I've, I've – had the fortune of having both of your both of your baseball teams play here in Charlotte and just the sheer number of players on on the on the rosters at the college level and the repetitiveness at the wear spots on the field from a practice standpoint. And then, you know, at, at the professional level, kind of the old Allen Iverson thing, but practice. We we don't we don't we don't practice. We 
we take batting practice 45 minutes a day and guys, you know, we have a 25 man roster and 12 of those guys are pitchers. So it's, it's so different from a wear standpoint at the, at the college level for baseball, especially. So it's, it's a training facility is what I like to tell people is, is, is we, we maintain a baseball and softball training facility. Uh, not necessarily uh, a game a game field because they do it all there. You mix some games in. Yep. I had to – years ago, I think I had to justify why we were spending more money side – more money on side at baseball than other facilities, and I, and I broke it down to other than football, this is the biggest team we deal with. They play the most games, and they're one of the only teams that does not have a de- designated practice facility. They practice and play on the same field year-round. And not to mention, they start at one of the worst times of the year. I mean, we come back in January 6th or 7th, we've, we've got workouts. You know, I think a lot of our damage, even though we're covered with ryegrass, a lot of our Bermuda damage comes in, you know, from January, February to early March before it gets to green up and start growing. So it's, you know, it's not taking anything away from any other sports or level of sports start managing, but college baseball is up there with one of the hardest ones to manage for sure, I think. And that field probably gets months of the year. It probably get. I mean, this would be an assumption. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it probably for a months of the year gets play as much, if not more, than any of your other natural grass fields. No question. Oh, absolutely. Is it? I mean, by the time you by the time you factor in a season, you factor in camps, you factor in fall ball. I don't know when your fall ball ends in college, but I mean, you're looking at a two month window, maybe that one. There's nothing on that field, and it's not during. It's not during a, a prime growing time of the year. You can probably attest to this, but we feel like we're we can take a breath and when we hit our first game, it's like we made it, you know? Because from January to that first game and say February 14th, it's six days a week um, practice. And when we finally start playing a game, a game is a lot less wear and tear yeah. than a practice, you know? And then we hit the road. So, you know, it's that's hard to explain to coaches sometimes. You know, but look, I'll I'll touch on that. I'm fortunate. Um, we've got some really good coaches here. They understand what we do. They'll they'll work with us. You know, sometimes they'll come to us and say, "Look, I know you need to feel, but I need to practice." You know, we're not very good. We need to practice. At the end of the day, it's their field. You know, we're here to. I try to tell our guys that we may not like what they're doing, but we're here to support them. And if they understand what they're doing, may cause some damage, or it may will be the result of it. Um, but we're on the same page. You know, I can live with that. What's the bigger challenge for you, Casey? The the setups for all the practices and the the other uh, camps that you have, or or just the general maintenance and fixing, you know, the wear and tear. You know, I would say this just scheduling what we want to do. You know, during the season, um, we've got a good our crew is big enough, and we we come together enough to we can we can flip a field after a, a weekend series and have everything mounds, plates, bullpens fixed back and ready to roll. But you know, if Monday's your off day and it rains all day and that was the day you were planning on fertilizing or airifying and you missed that day, then it's, Hey, now we got to figure out how to get that in while they're on the field or, you know, so scheduling is just, we can sit and plan out the whole season at the beginning and you can throw that out the window a couple weeks into the year. So it's how big is your crew? So we have, we have 10 guys on our crew. Um, Baseball will get, you know, they, it, it does. I've always said, you know, baseball and softball where you're fixing, clay areas and, and maintaining dirt require more work. So, you know, baseball will have three or four guys most times. There are two guys here that, that can kind of maintain everything when we're not fixing. Is that about what you have, Clark? Yeah, it's very similar. 
very similar. We, uh, you know, we're probably a little more spread out. Our facilities are spread further apart than maybe what Casey is. But then again, it's been so long since I've been to Chapel Hill. Your softball facility, y'all have another facility that are kind of off by themselves now, right? Our baseball, field hockey, practice football, and football stadium are all within a, you know, within a hundred yard circle of each other. Um, softball is about three quarters of a mile off campus in our in our practice complex where our track is and five acres of natural grass and five acres of synthetic or maybe a mile off campus, probably not even that far. So, you know, it's, you, we drive it with gators and utility vehicles all the time, but you know, it is a little bit, a little bit off. Yeah. We're a little more spread out than, than you guys. So we, we try to do the same thing. We try to keep a supervisor at each facility. Uh, and then of course that, that crew size at those facilities may vary with the season, but you know, yeah, we're not too far off from what you guys have. Casey, talk a little bit about just the relationship. I mean, you know, you've got three ACC schools right there in that Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area. Talk a little bit about the relationship between between you and your colleagues at those at those universities. I mean, I, do you got do you guys talk a lot? Do you lean on each other? Yeah, we. You know, I it, we're in a unique area uh, for sure with that. We uh, Scott Thompson over at Duke and Derek and Daryl Lyles at NC State. We talk to them. I do talk to them all the time. You know, we, we, we're, we're all dealing with the same, same issues, same climate issues, you know, being ACC schools that we deal with the same scheduling issues, same wear and tear issues. You know, the cool thing is we, we bounce ideas off each other. We borrow equipment from each other, you know, Duke, they'll come borrow one of our tractors every year to do a certain project or we've been, there's been times we've ran out of paint or uh, infield conditioner and I've called Daryl up the state, and, you know, we're going over to get it. Just Friday, for example, we, we hired a, a new guy a couple months ago. He's from up north, and he came down. He said, "Hey, it's I didn't realize you guys were all this close to each other. I'd love to go visit those campuses." So I called Daryl. We were slow, and we rode over Friday afternoon and showed him around NC State stuff. So you know, and on top of that, there's there's USA Baseball, Wake Med, and the Durham Bulls all within you know between us and NC State. So it's really a cool area to be a turfgrass manager. A lot of good resources in the area, a lot of good people. I've heard stories, Casey, that sometimes when uh, you borrow that Duke equipment, it goes back to Durham with maybe some uh, different adornments on it than it, it had when it left. The first time it was Duke borrowed it, it came back with some, uh, let's just say some darker blue stickers on it. Yeah, we kept finding them months later. Time we thought we found the last one, there was another one. So Scott Thompson, who's at Duke, was we graduated together. I remember him calling me and being like, "Hey, I'm thinking about leaving golf and getting sports turf at Duke. Yeah, go for it, give it a shot." And that's probably what 10, 12 years later, he's still there. So you know, we've we've known each other for a while. And I got my start at NC State working working with Derek and Daryl, Ray, and those guys. So um, tell us a little bit about how you how you uh, got into uh, to the business, Casey. You, you mentioned a little bit about your days at NC State, but how, how'd you get into this business? So I graduated from high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like a lot of people funny, I got waitlisted here at Carolina and I got accepted at state on the same day. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm in at state. I'm, I'm, I'm going there. So I did. My major was middle school math and science education. And I, quickly realized that was not for me. I went home the summer of 2003 and I worked on a golf course and I really, really enjoyed it. The old North State Club at URA Point, really, really nice golf course. So I went back, changed my major to turf grass management, did an internship at the golf course for another year. And then in the summer of 05, I knew I wanted to stay in Raleigh. So I drove over to Carter Finley, walked up, met a guy. This is kind of a funny story. I, 
I had this whole spiel about, hey, I'm a turf student. I want to get into this. And I went up and I, I got ready to give my story. And the guy looked at me and I could tell he, he didn't feel great. And he said, just come back tomorrow and you're hired. And I thought, well, that was easy. <laughs> and it was Ray Brinsfield. And he was about to go under the knife for some a kidney stone surgery the next day. So I don't even think he remembers hiring <laughs> me, but he did. He hired me and, ah, man, the rest is history. Um, I got to work as a student, which was really, really cool. You know, I would paint Carter Finley until lunch for a game, and then I'd go to class with paint on my legs. Um, all my, all the students in turf thought, you know, I had one of the coolest jobs ever that I got to do that. And I was fortunate enough to, to get hired on right when I graduated. And I loved it there. I learned a lot. Uh, in 2010, Kevin Robinson was was here at UNC, and there was an open position, and he, uh, he brought me over to to help maintain maintain stuff in Chapel Hill, and uh, you know, I've been here ever since. So, and my journey's been kind of in this area, but it's been a fun one. Your brother's in the industry too, right? Yep, Kenny's in the industry. So, so it runs in the family. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know if uh, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to do turf, but he he came to state. My brother and sister are twins; they're three years younger, so we were all at NC State at the same time. It was a lot of fun. And he got into turf, kind of the same thing. He started working part-time with the grounds crew at NC State. And uh, when he when he graduated, he started working for Eastern Turf Maintenance, and he's been there for a while. So, you know, my, my wife, our wives hate it when we're all together because we just talk turf. They've learned to tune us out. We, I think we I think all. we all have that issue. Why do y'all always talk about grass? That's all y'all talk about. Well, you know, I get the same thing when we go to, you know, and we, we, we you know, we're all good friends, right? I mean, we, we have a, a lot of friends in our industry and that's the, probably the biggest thing that we all have in common is that we love, we love, love turf grass. I get it all the time was a way you got to go to work at a conference, you know, work at a conference, go see all your buddies. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I can't help it. that I chose a field where that I enjoy and that I enjoy the people that are, are peers. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the greatest thing about this industry is the people. Yeah, I got a delivery of fertilizer this morning and the guy that dropped off uh, the pallet he's retired and this is just, his wife made him she's not retired yet she said you're gonna have to get a job you're not gonna just sit at home while i'm working and he, the first thing he told me is and he's not was never a part of the turf industry before and the first thing he told me was that the people that he encounters on a daily basis are just some of the you know the best people and the you know he has a lot of fun with the relationships he's built since he's gotten into this industry he was a driver yeah he was just a driver he hadn't driven in the wrong spot yet then has he <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all yelled at uh, our share of drivers if they get off the place where they're supposed to be driving and they get on the wrong spot. My problem is my, you, you probably have something similar, Clark, but my uh, shop is not really near the rest of the campus and it's hard to, there's no connection. So it's hard to get from one place or the other. And they always send the delivery drivers to the wrong spot. Oh, And so it's a challenge getting them turned around and, some of these bigger trucks and, you know, and then they're, they're upset because they're in the wrong spot. And like, you know, I gave you the right address. I didn't tell you. Go sand, sand is the worst. And, and, and we order sand from the same place. It's the same calling company. And I get calls every time. I, where is this? And I, I guess they're different drivers, so I should yep. be patient, but I just think to myself, it's 2020, man. There's all kinds of GPS and you, you got the address right there. Why are you calling me? And, and of course, and they end up in the wrong spot anyway. So it's like, whatever. Yeah. Maybe our campus is difficult, but we're to the point where if a driver calls, I tell them, just stop where you're at and tell me what you're near and we'll come, 
will come direct you to the right place. So, yeah, we all deal with it. So, Casey, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the special projects that you do out there and some of the, the fun renovations you've got to do. You know, maybe we can start with your big year where you were renovating the field. Was it after every other game or how yeah, did that work out? That one started off as a fun one, but I don't know that it ended as a fun one. It was a lot of work. But, no, we um, I think a lot of people know, you know, our story with that of, of we were – we undertook a – I don't know, $100 million plus renovation on our practice facility for football. Really two years, one year was planned with nowhere for football to practice. Looked at all the options, some synthetic turf in our stadium, us and the team off campus to practice. Uh, pretty much any option you can think of. Coaching staff at the time, were, they, they really preferred natural grass and wanted to keep it in our stadium. And so we proposed the idea to, to side it as needed. You know, we, we ran some numbers on for the budget. We figured out we could we could do this for – a good price for cheaper than than installing synthetic and that would keep the coach and staff happy so that's what we did a lot of a lot of planning went into it you know a lot of sleepless nights but it turned out it turned out good it actually drug on for two seasons when it was only supposed to be one we ended up spending still under what we had budgeted for one season i think we did four five full resides and then two or three partial resides down the middle it's something that i look back and i'll probably well, obviously, we'll never forget it, but I learned a lot during those two years about what you can and can't do with with grass and stretching the limits on it, and you know, just all kinds of things like that. How many resurfacing did you actually end up doing over that what two year period? So we budgeted for the first year. We budgeted for seven full resides. We were gonna we budgeted to reside every home game, entire field, if we needed to. Now we didn't. We went into that year not thinking we would need to do you know, full field every game, but we wanted to be prepared. We worked with, with Carolina Green to, to reserve the side for us and, you know, do the work with for us. But um, I think that year, I think we did, they ran together, but I think we did three full resides and two partial resides. So, you know, we were almost, we spent half of what we budgeted. Again, the construction project ran long due to some unforeseen problems, but we we were able to uh, to do that again for year two and stay stay under that total budget. But again, you know, that's what, that's what that coaching staff wanted, and that's what we were able able to provide, you know, for that time frame. Were there any negative impacts to so much sod work? How, how did you remediate that sod layer that can build up? So, in the, the for our situation, we were coming in and trying to take it out overnight and put it in, you know, at the same time um, and have it ready for the next day. And, and and none of that was really an issue. You know, we had Carolina Green had done it before. You know, all of our guys had done it. Everybody was on board. We had a great plan. You know, we did find that after multiple resaws, the one thing we didn't have time to do was maybe put a laser grade on it. So, you know, the field would would be maybe a little uneven, or you know, it would have some. You know, it was it was never unsafe. I don't think it was never. A situation where we looked at it, and we're like, man, we this is not good. We messed up. But you know, towards the end, when we hadn't planned to do two years worth of sod, I think we were putting some sod in, and it was it was really good sod. But we we got some pretty bad rainstorms, and I think what we had done after two years of just driving on it is really created like a pan layer right under that sod that that water wasn't draining through quite as fast as we needed it to, um, you know, for a couple of rain games. But look, nobody, uh, we looked back and we didn't, we didn't find any injuries or we didn't find anything too terrible from it. So like I said, we learned a lot. Clark, you and Matt resod probably a lot more than I do, like right before a game. I don't know how many days you get in between laying sod and then actually playing a game. Can, can y'all kind of 
sympathize with Casey a little bit or speak a little bit to what it's like? You know, does it does it change your mentality going up? You know, do you have any concerns? Well, we've only done it one time. I mean, we we did it before we had the Beyonce uh, concert, Jay Z show before the uh, 2018 season. Yeah, you know, that was a one time deal. It was nine days. The concert was nine days prior to our home opener, and so we we did it for that one game. And uh, gosh, I I actually called Casey a lot beforehand just to so he made me feel better about it you know I, I knew it I knew it was possible in fact I told everyone yeah you know, a lot of people said Clark is this going to work I said well you know Casey and Chapel Hill's doing it almost every game and you know, they did it almost every year the in 2017 with no hiccup I knew it was I knew it was doable it's done all the time the NFL but when it's you doing it for the first time uh it it, it was nerve-wracking it was nerve wracking. And I'm not going to say that I never, I knew it was going to be good, but it was one of the most hectic weeks of my life. But, you know, and at the end of the day, it, it was fine and everything was great and everybody was happy with it. And, you know, you look like a hero, uh, even though you've just done something that is pretty common practice. So I can't imagine it doing it on the time frame that Casey was doing it under, you know, multiple times a year and, and turning it over quicker than what we were, you know, we had nine days. They're doing it in two to two days right Casey I mean yeah I mean we 40 48 hours 72 hours basically I mean you said that perfect we we planned we planned so long for this we had everything planned out that we could possibly think of and we started I think we uh ended practice at six o'clock on that first one we came in everybody was ready to go we had a plan to where because we had been there all day working we were gonna we were gonna help get it going and work till like midnight. And my guys, we were all gonna go home and, and sleep for you know three, four, five hours while Carolina Green laid it. And we were gonna come back and because we had to paint the next day, you know, yet another six, seven, eight hours of painting. So we were gonna try to rest. I remember leaving, I think one, one or two a.m. and feeling really good about where we were at. And I got home and I showered and I laid down. And for thirty minutes, my eyes were wide open. And I got right back out of bed and I drove back over to to check on. I couldn't. You, you. Were just, I was just. I was nervous, even though it was going as planned and perfect. You know, until we were completely done. You know, you just you couldn't relax, especially for that first one. And then you know it looked great. But was it going to play great? How was right. it going to play? I mean, if you, we've seen fields that look good, but hey, that didn't play too great. We got rain on it, so that added some stress. But, you know, after we got the first one under our belt, they were – I would say they got less and less nerve-wracking each time, you know, as we did it. Football is a whole different beast than baseball is. But I remember, you know, 2016 was my first year in Charlotte. and Gosh, that year we we hosted the AAA All-Star game, and I, I came in not knowing – you know, not having a whole lot of history on the on this field. And we made the determination, I think it was about 12 days before the AAA All-Star game, that we were going to side our entire infield back arc and sidelines, about 17, 17 and a half thousand square feet. But we went into that All-Star game with a seven-game homestand. And so, you know, I was scrambling and uh, called Chad Price at Carolina Green. And that process, I mean, he was literally in here two days after I called and we did a changeover that night. You know, baseball is tough because you got grass to dirt edges that you have to match up and, and uh, it's just not laying it right into a tray, so to speak. So, but we played on that grass for the rest of 16, all of 17. And uh, it, it's to the point now with sod on plastics, just so, so easy. I mean, when we lay it here in Charlotte, as it's being laid, we're coming right behind it with an air fire. I mean, it's, we could literally lay it and play on it that afternoon for baseball. Yeah, Matt, we found that too. You know, that sod layer, when it's grown on plastic, it comes in so root bound and those roots are so tight and, you know, it does drain. 
but it probably still is not draining as fast as your your sand base field under it. So we were doing the same thing. We were laying it and you know putting a small solid time in it before we would roll it just to break through there and things that I never thought I'd be doing and lay inside and putting a hole in it you know right before I rolled it but start doing stuff it's it's crazy that you, that you can do that I mean I think back to early in my career when sod on plastic wasn't really an option especially where we were located in, in in Maryland we had a fantastic sod farm right down the road from us two hours down the road but sod on plastic wasn't an option and you had to really pick and choose the times in season when you were when you were gonna sod especially in those areas in front of the mound and second base I mean your your wear spots on on baseball are are high impact spots you don't have the square footage that you may have on football but you know, if you got a pitcher coming off the front of the mound or a guy second second and short making a having to make a an agility move one direction or the other, you gotta make sure that that stuff's rooted in and tacked down. So I mean I, I think for me, you know, we're fortunate to have have a couple of growers very close to, to us in Charlotte and it was a game changer for us. And and I had never worked with side on plastic until I got here, but it's just an amazing product. So now what we found, it was it was a dangerous there's a there's a dangerous fine line. Once our once I once that football staff realized that we could come in overnight and switch out the middle of a field. Once even in the spring when we were out there, you know, we had a little more leeway in the spring. Uh, we were practicing every couple of days, not as not as many nothing was on TV, not a game. Man, any any little wear we got, we were starting to get a hey, can we uh we reside the middle after Wednesday night? or Wednesday's practice and have it ready for Friday, you know, and we would go meet and uh, we would give recommendations. Look, this is no, it, it's, it's starting to show somewhere, but it's, it's completely safe. They started to realize what, what you can do, what we could do with that and requesting it more often. I was telling somebody the other day that I have a roll of latitude side on plastic that I brought in last, uh, last May, brought in early. And was told when I got it, Matt, I don't know if this stuff's going to really hold together the way that you want it to. And that roll of sod is still growing on my ramp, my concrete ramp outside my shop. Been down for well over a year. And it's honestly, it's probably some of the prettiest grass I have on the on the whole property right now. So it's amazing. But, you know, you talk about it being root bound, Casey, and that's that's what it is. I mean, but it'll grow forever if you can keep you know, we we treat it the same way we do the field um, from a fertility standpoint. But being in the middle of the city, we don't have we don't have a sod farm, and so we try to get a couple rolls at the beginning of every year, and we just grow them on our ramp. And uh, if you can take care of it, and it's a viable option moving forward, especially from the square footage that we that we do typically have to resod during the course of a baseball season. But it is heavy. It is heavy to move. It is heavy to move when you got to do it. So and Clark mentioned in that when he was doing it that we talked a lot and I mean I've I've always Clark Clark's been in the industry longer than me and I've, I've always looked up to what what he's done and you know he was asking me advice you know and that that meant a lot but with with everybody in our industry um I called a lot of people and a lot of it was hey talk me out of this you know tell me I'm crazy for even thinking about this and nobody would everybody was supportive you know hey talk to so-and-so he's done this or talk to so-and-so or Hey, I'll volunteer to come help. And we did. We had people in the area come volunteer and help us when we were doing it. So it was really cool to see um, the support of, of the, the, everybody in the STMA and the, the local people, uh, you know, rooting for us, want, want it to succeed. Well, so to that end, you get through 2017, you get through 2018, you win field of the year, which was a great accomplishment. And then boom, you, you, you have to go synthetic. Um, a little get, little bit of a gut punch to you, Casey. 
Yeah, initially it absolutely was. You know, as I think as sports turf managers, and especially me, I do I understand the need for synthetic in, in certain applications. Um, in my mind, that necessarily wasn't one. Um, you know, Keenan was kind of that was I'm going to say my baby. You know, that was the I spent a lot I spent a lot of hours out there taking care of it. I mean, we enjoyed working on it. Um, yeah, it was a gut punch, but you know that decision was made, you know, with a with a lot of, I, I think, a lot of thought um, from our administration, from our football staff. They, they had some different needs. They had their their input, and I gave our input. And you know, at the end of the day, it goes back to I think as a sports serve manager, I'm here to to support our teams and what they've got, what fields they've got to play on. So, yeah, it, it was disappointing personally for me to see it go. But, you know, we still we, – we maintain it, you know, like a, as good as we can possibly maintain a synthetic field. So, um, I think that's the attitude that we, we adjusted and, and went with. Have you gotten any feedback from players? Uh, I guess coaches really wouldn't give you any. But have, have any players given you any feedback to compare the two or which maybe they like better or is it, it pretty much – yeah, no, no, we've we've been fortunate enough to talk to some players, and, and it varies. It really does. Um, we had an O lineman who who was really good who told me that uh, you know he preferred the synthetic he preferred synthetic turf because um, he just felt like he had better footing. We had a running back that I talked to less than a, less than a year ago, and he told me he liked grass better. He just he you know so. I think you could probably sit down and have a conversation with every player, and you know you it may. I don't know if it's going to split 50-50, but some guys are, you know, some guys are going to like grass, some are going to like synthetic, but. Um. And some of them won't know the difference between the two. Some of them won't know the difference. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. So. We, we find a lot of kids think their 40 times are going to get better on the plastic. But that, you know, I, I, that was one of the hardest things for me to get over. You talk about Keenan being your baby. I mean, my stadium feel was the same way. And when, you know, when it got uh, turned over to synthetic, that, that was hard. That was a gut punch. That was really hard to take. Yeah, you know, and it was one of those. It goes back to when you have to sod an area, you feel like you had failed at that. And 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 there was part of me maybe that, hey, did I not do a good enough job with it? Oh, I definitely took it that way. I definitely took it as you know, we we didn't do our job uh, the way we should have on you know the grass field. And if we had, it, they would never have thought to 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 change it. And I know that's not a rational thought, but you know. It, it, it always went back to that and it, it was really tough to get over that it you know I don't know if I'm still 100% over it but eight years now I guess I should move on right <laughs> Mark you got any stories around people not knowing the difference between the two no we just I mean we had a player once that that I was curious they had been to play on a synthetic surface and I saw him at practice and in a nutshell I asked him How'd you like uh, How'd you like playing uh, on that stuff up at at Missouri? And he said it was all right. It was all right. And I said, well, he said, I tell you, he said, I really like Tennessee's grass, or what we played on at Tennessee. And I said, well, they've got grass. And uh, he said, I didn't like the synthetic because the 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 beads. He was talking about the chrome rubber that, that gets all over me. And uh, he said, he turned and he looked at me and he said, what do we have? And <laughs> I was just like, you know, it really was one of those moments where you think we did this great job. We blood, we bleed, we sweat. And these kids really appreciate what we're doing, the surface that we're giving them. And, uh, and this was a senior, this was a senior player. And it, it didn't even cross his mind. You know, when he steps between those lines, 
whether he was on real grass or synthetic. I mean, I found that hard to believe, but it just, it really was kind of sobering to me. It's like, well, you know, sometimes they don't even, they don't even care or, or uh, not that they don't care, but it's, if it's good, it's good, you know, or, or they just go play the game. Yeah. I mean, we have teams like that. We have teams that are more adamant that, Hey, we, we want to play our game on a natural grass field. And we have some, yeah, they, 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 I don't know. They would play you in a parking lot if that's where the game needed to be played, you know? Um, so it's, it varies from team to team. I'd rather have a – I'll say this. I'd rather have a kid like that, that if I was a coach that just wants to go play, doesn't care what surface that he is on, than one that wants to bitch and moan about the surface, you know, which you – know, I hadn't seen that a whole lot in football, but I've, I've seen it in some other sports. It's amazing how many nights we'll walk off the field after, you know, we've gotten ready for the game to start and we'll be walking down the warning track and fans in the front rows will stop us and ask if it's synthetic turf. And I've gotten kind of to the point where I take it as a compliment because, you know, it, it's when you look at synthetic, you don't see, you, I mean, rarely, especially on the new new generation synthetics, you, you don't see the blemishes. And so I've just kind of gotten to the point, well, no, and you tell them that it's not and, and uh, their eyes kind of light up. And I look at it as a compliment nowadays, but where at first it was kind of like, what kind of question is that? But we see it every day, they don't. So that's the reality of it. But it, it is eye-opening to people when you tell them that it, that it isn't. I think it gives a gives a little bit different perspective. Well, well, Casey, I I think I, I think you proved something. What you you proved what you set out to do. I mean, you guys did it, and uh, you know, I, I I don't think you should ever feel like y'all didn't succeed. I mean, hell, you won field of the year. You know that change happens. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's college athletics, but um, but I, I think turf managers all over the world can look at at what you guys did as an example of what we can do with natural grass and for the money. I mean, you, you ran the numbers, what you guys were able to accomplish. You were able to do it cheaper than putting a synthetic field in. I, I, I think that you, you deserve a lot of credit for that, for taking that risk and, and making it happen. I, I don't know if I'd have had the, the, the guts to, to try it, but, uh, but you guys did it and you succeeded. So I think that was a, a, a real accomplish, accomplishment. Yeah, we were, you know, we were proud of it. We really were. And I had some guys on my staff after we, we, we made the, the, the change to synthetic. We're like, man, that was that was a waste of our time. And I said, no, you know, it wasn't, guys. It was – it was. we learned a lot. We really did learn a lot. You know, we've, we've laid a lot of sod in-house since then, I think, because we, we did it so much. We know what we're doing. So, it just – it was an experience, to say the least. Well, I think I think the, the other thing, and this is kind of getting off on kind of a, some personal conversations that you and I – you and I have had Casey, but you know, it, it is the nature of college athletics. And, and the reality of the situation is that there, there was a changeover. And, you know, during the changeovers, when all this happened, they didn't get to see your grass field. That's when the synthetic went in, but you do have grass practice facilities. And I know that you and I have talked about some of the positive feedback that you've gotten regarding the grass practice facility from, you know, from your current coaches. And, and I think that too is just a testament just to, yes, there was a reason why Keenan went to what it was, but at the same time, there's that level of respect in terms of the product that you can put out from a natural standpoint. And so my point is, I know that that's conversation that you and I have had in the past. And I think that, you know, that they see it too. So. Yeah. And I don't think, I think the, the thought is if you ever find a coach or a, or somebody that 
like synthetic, that means they just hate natural. Or if they like natural grass, they hate synthetic. And and I don't get that impression at all from from our staff, you know, and or administration. I think there were a lot of decisions that you know people outside of the university probably would never understand um, just from looking on the outside in. But there were there were reasons, you know, to go synthetic in Keenan, and then. There were some good reasons to do it, but our coaching staff does compliment us on our grass practice field. You know, they see what we can do, and you know, I don't, I don't hold any any hard feelings. I mean, that's just it's the nature of it. You know, we're again, as I'll give my input and give my suggestions as as I hope the the expert on campus and growing grass and the decisions get made, and you know, we maintain them after that. All right, Casey. Before we let you go, we gotta we gotta ask you about you know, an epic fail that you've had. It's, it's been our ending topic that we always ask the guys. And it was fun when we talked to John uh, last week, and I think we put John on the spot a little bit. So it, that's kind of getting to be a fun one to talk about. Does anybody want to call me out on anything and let me explain it? Or do you want me to just go from the cuff here? I got two that I can think of. Um, and I think anybody that's dealt with baseball has probably been in this situation. But a couple years ago, I, I, I sat in the dugout beside Coach Fox during batting practice, looking at the radar, and I said, we're going to be just fine. It's not even going to hit us. And 30 seconds later, I was in a full sprint down the warning track trying to get the tarp out. There were people running out of the parking lot into our shop. It was raining so hard. We got the tarp, the whole team, the grounds crew, anybody that could get on it, got it to maybe second base. The left side of our infield is is, is nice and playable, and the, the we have a delay, an hour delay to dry just the right side. Our team has completely switched uniforms because everybody's soaked. Nobody can call me or anybody on my staff because our phones are wet in our pocket and ruined. So uh, that was pretty. That was that was a pretty bad one. You know, I missed that one. But what'd y'all do to to get the field ready? I think we probably put enough conditioner on the right side to last for a couple weekend series. You know, and it was – if you've ever seen a field that was nice and playable on the left and squishy and mushy on the right, that's what we had, you know. And another – the only other time I can – not the only other time I can think of, but one that stands out, and maybe this will be a, a learning lesson to anybody, but during the years of the Keenan Reside, we had Notre Dame coming up. So it was, it was our, our biggest game all year. We decided we'd throw a little green sand out with the top dresser. And I got a little heavy-handed on the sand. We laid it to it, and it was – almost like a green beach. And I thought, well, our big irrigation cannons will we'll run them for a long cycle and knock it down. This was early in the week. And I washed every bit of dye off of that sand that night. So that green sand went to white sand overnight and it showed every bad area that we had on the field. That was a shock to me the next morning. So we loaded our sprayer up and we redyed it again. So our poor equipment managers probably still hate me to this day for that one, but. All right. Well, that's, I think, all the time we have for today, Casey. Um, before we let you go, though, we want to thank our 2020 partners and uh, have everybody uh, look out for our next week podcast with uh, the North Carolina and South Carolina STMA history. So, again, Casey, thank you for your time. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, guys.